Our first reading for today is from 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your own Bible or uh, your Bible on your phone, feel free to follow along. I encourage you to do so as, as we read from God's Word. Also, if you don't have a Bible, there are the blue uh, pew Bibles available for you in the pew recs. 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith, with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're here this morning, and we're gathered together, and for many of us, this is what we do regularly on Sunday mornings. We, we come to church, we, we sit in the pews, we face forward, and the pastor uh, leads the worship service. But it's worth asking, it's worth taking some time to maybe step back and take a look at, well, why do we do what we do? And what should pastors and church workers 
be doing as they lead a congregation. That, that's a lot of what we are seeing in our, our text today. Uh, this text is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it's part of a larger section where Paul is talking to Timothy about worship in a congregation, what worship life should look like. We may remember, if you've been with us here the past few weeks, that uh, throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, uh, what often is referred to as the pastoral epistles, the, the pastoral letters, uh, Paul, the senior apostle writing from Macedonia, that's modern-day Greece, to, to Timothy, who is pastor at the church in, in Ephesus, uh, a, a large town, probably the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, modern-day Turkey, across the Aegean Sea. And Timothy was going through some hard times, some challenging teachings, some challenging people. He needed some encouragement from his friend, his brother, the Apostle Paul. And so that's why Paul is, is writing this letter to his son in the faith, to Timothy. So today, specifically, we take a look at, at leadership in the church. The text talks about, in 1 Timothy 3, talks about two different offices. And it says uh, qualifications, at least in my Bible, the heading at the beginning of chapter 3, qualifications for overseers, and then a little further down, qualifications for deacons. So let's talk about what these two uh, offices were. Uh, overseers, that word, uh, episkopoi in the Greek, it's sometimes translated as bishop, but essentially overseers is synonymous with elders, is synonymous with pastors in the New Testament. And so those three terms are used almost interchangeably. When Jesus did his three-year ministry, he spent a bulk of that time, maybe 18 months of that time, developing overseers. What we know now is the, the 12 apostles, Peter and James and Andrew and John, right? And so and so, so on and so on. He was raising up these elders, these overseers, these pastors for the church so that when, when Jesus left, when he ascended into heaven, that there would be people to lead the church that he's established. The Apostle Paul, when he went on his missionary journeys, remember it's, it was on his second missionary journey that the Apostle Paul picked up Timothy as essentially a vicar, a really young man at that time, uh, intern, to, and asked Timothy to, to follow him. That was 15 years before he wrote, and maybe 13 years before he wrote this letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. But Paul, what, what he would regularly do, not just find young men to shadow him and intern, but when he planted a new congregation, a new church in a new city, when the gospel was breaking in, one of the very first things that he did was raise up elders. 
raise up pastors for the church. Notice here what he's not necessarily doing or prioritizing at least. He's not prioritizing finding the uh, right building or allocating the right amount of funds <laughs> or raising up the, the uh, best musicians in town so that people are attracted by the, the high-quality uh, music in, in the worship service. Now, th- those are important things in a church, but aren't part of the most important things that the Apostle Paul did when he was raising up, chur- up church workers. And so, so that we kind of see here what uh, he's, what's meant here by uh, an overseer. And then when we look at deacons, now what's a, what's a deacon? A deacon is an office that's mentioned a few times in the New Testament. In Philippians 1.1, the Apostle Paul, in another letter that he writes to that church, the church in Philippi, he writes to the Elders and the or the elders and the deacons, the overseers and the deacons, right? Uh, so, deacon is an established church, um, office in the church. And if we look at Acts chapter six, back in Acts chapter six, what what's happening there? The apostles are ministering. The church is growing, and as the church grows, what's one of the things that happens? Problems, <laughs> sin, brokenness, start uh, um, maybe competing for resources. <clears throat> Does any of this sound familiar? Um, I don't know, maybe. But in that case in particular, it was the widows, the Greek widows, who weren't getting served with their, with their food and with the, the things that they needed to be cared for in life, they weren't being provided for in an adequate way. And so some of the, the Greek Christians in the early church went to the apostles and said, hey, look, we have all these widows here. They need help. And what does Peter and the, and the other 12 apostles, what do they come to? What conclusion do they come to? Well, let's raise up other high-quality men to serve as deacons. They serve in this role in order that us pastors, apostles, overseers, elders, whatever term you want to throw on it, so that we can stay focused on Scripture and prayer. They raise up Stephen and Philip and uh, the seven men total that serve as deacons in the early church, and their, jo- their job description was to, to care for the widows and make sure that they had what they needed in life and their provisions. So we, we can see uh, that these two offices are important to the church, were established early on in the church. There's, there's lots of similarities between the t- these two lists that Paul gives us in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Above reproach. I'm reading in uh, verse 2 now. Uh, so it should be someone that can't be accused of doing wicked things, right? Uh, someone who is uh, the husband of one wife. 
So um, we were just in our family devotions reading a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, I'm sorry, about how Jacob had two wives. What were his wives' names? Do you remember? Rachel and Leah, right? So one could say, well, hey, it's in the Bible. Polygamy, it's all good, right? Except as we start looking at this story, we recognize um, it wasn't. There was lots of issues. Can you imagine? Lots of issues when sisters are sharing one husband and there's a competition. This was not the way that God had designed marriage to, to look. This was a result of sin. But if we go back to the beginning, God creates one man and one woman, lifelong committed relationship with, another, with one another. So too, in the church, pastors be husbands of one wife, right? Sober-minded, self-controlled, right? I'll, I'll run through these quickly, but uh, shouldn't be a bully, shouldn't be hot-tempered, right? Shouldn't be um, quick to anger, uh, respected, hospitable. <laughs> Is, did you know that it's a requirement for me as your pastor to be hospitable when people come in? I mean, and when 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 uh, Scripture's talking about hospitality, it's often talking about being hospitable to, to strangers, right? Uh, to care for those who are in need of, of home. Now, it could be bringing them into your house, uh, but there's other ways of being hospitable, taking someone out to coffee, that sort of stuff, asking, you know, uh, just uh, developing a relationship with them. But that's a, a requirement in this list that Paul gives to Timothy a requirement for an overseer. Someone's not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of, of money. If I'm here doing what I do solely to get a paycheck, I need to find a new job. Now, I will say First uh, Timothy 5 talks about how a uh, worker is worthy of his wages, right? That, yes, there is, there is something to be said about pastors having fair compensation so that they can live without having to look at the books and figure out what they're, they're uh, going to give up this month. Should I, should I pay my rent? Should I pay my car payment? Should I pay my, uh, uh, for food? Or do I have to just go on a diet, fasting, right? Like, no, that's not the case either. Thanks be to God, that's not the case for me or my family in this place. But, um, we, but at the same time, we're not to be uh, lovers of, of money. Someone who, uh, verse 4, he must manage his own household well. For someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? It's worth noting here that sometimes we talk about work-life balance or in, in ministry as pastors we talk about balancing uh, church and family. I, I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. I don't think it's a balancing act. I think it's a, a prerequisite to be a pastor. A pastor must take care of his family, be with his family, 
before he can faithfully care for the church. Too many times, uh, it's sad to see where families are second-class citizens to the congregation. The amount of times that we've had uh, someone come up to to us, uh, to Eden in particular, my wife, and say, oh, no, I'm sorry for everything that you have to endure and give up as a pastor's wife. And yeah, you know what, There's there are some realities to that, some truth to that, but at the end of the day, if if that's if that's her ongoing reality that she's just always living a life that uh, is burdensome, so that I can be here doing church stuff, um, I'm failing, and I need to uh, either fix it or get another job. He um, so and then he goes on to say he can't be a recent convert may not uh, be puffed up with conceit or fall into condemnation, or he may fall into the condemnation of the devil, right? He must be well thought of by outsiders so that when someone's looking into the church, they can see that the church, if you will, practices what it preaches. The list that Paul gives for deacons it's very similar to the list that Paul gives for overseers. Only two exceptions. Able to teach and care for God's church. Those two are specific to overseers, elders, pastors. Not listed in the qualifications for deacons. But otherwise, church workers ought to be held to this standard. We, we sometimes want to separate the man from the message, if you will, uh, that um, you know, no, one, no one's perfect. And, and to be sure, just a few verses earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, Paul says, Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Right, Paul the pastor, the apostle, the Bible writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says these things. So this isn't uh, an un, it's supposed to be an unreasonable list of qualifications that uh, pastors are supposed to be perfect or church workers are supposed to be perfect. We are to be repentant as all church members. And yet, there's also this, this tension that we live in that... There's, there are some qualifications for church workers regarding their, their character. Now no, notice what isn't listed in this text. What isn't required a, as a qualification for pastors or church workers charismatic, someone that's really on fire and, and super bold and passionate and has a, a, a great uh, a personality that just captivates the entire room. That's not mentioned. Or leadership skills, someone that really knows how to, to get stuff done. What else? What other maybe 
uh, traits, uh, uh, talents. It doesn't say that pastors need to be musicians. Thanks be to God. <laughs> it doesn't say that uh, pastors, well, let's see what else. Uh, oh, that they have to be a certain age, whether it be old or young. I've had people come up to me and say, and this was probably a few years ago, so keep that in mind, but say, you're too young to be a pastor, Right? There's other times that churches, when they, they go through a, a call process and they're looking for uh, a pastor, they want uh, a young pastor that will bring in young families. Now, none of those things are bad. We see, as we see pastors in the New Testament, we see some are bold and charismatic, some are a little bit more timid, some, some are great leaders, some are, are great followers. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. But they are secondary to the list that the Apostle Paul gives us here. And sometimes I think this is what, what we can do in the church. That when we look for a pastor, we can maybe be too quick to overlook the qualifications that Paul lays out for us here. Because, yeah, we know he's got a past, but boy... Does he have charisma? And we regularly hear, at least in the circles I follow on social media, that high-profile, charismatic preacher who falls into sin, who is, falls into moral failure, whether that be financial or uh, sexual or whatever the case may be, and the whole church implodes around it. So important, so crucial for us uh, as, a, as a church body to put first things first. And if the rest of those uh, characteristics come into place after that, thanks be to God. Also, Notice this, too. When, when Paul, like I mentioned earlier, when he went around and planted churches, he quickly planted or raised up, I should say, elders, overseers, pastors for those places. When we as a church body refer to a, a congregation that does not have a pastor, we call them a, a vacant congregation, right? Uh, you may know that uh, I'm serving as the circuit visitor for our, our Denver Northwest circuit, so I'm helping congregations that are, are currently vacant with, without a pastor, without a shepherd, without an overseer, and helping them to find a man to, to come into that place and to lead that congregation. Uh, but, but just in our language, vacant, we're, we're Acknowledging that something is missing, is wrong, not in a sinful sense, but in an incomplete sense uh, with a congregation that doesn't have a, a pastor. The one thing that's jumped out to me 
in verse 9, talking about deacons, says this, they must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And I actually added on uh, a few verses at the end, verses 14 through 16, uh, weren't part of the assigned reading, but I, I love this phrase in verse 16. We confess, great indeed we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, what, how does this play into church workers? Sometimes the, the qualities, the requirements, the qualifications for church workers don't make perfect sense from a business standpoint. Business practices in the world can be helpful in the church, but there also have to be places where the church recognizes we're marching to the beat of a different drummer. That we're following someone who doesn't always make sense by our eyes. Uh, We're following someone that sometimes leads us in ways that are uh, are referred to as being foolish by the world. You're bringing in, you want someone to lead your church and He's not a, a, a good, strong leader that's bold. He's timid. Like, is, is he really going to be the person who advances the church? Well, no. But the mystery of godliness and the mystery of God is. It's, it's not the pastor or, or his qualities, ultimately, that's leading the church. It's the, the word of God and the word incarnate, namely our Lord Jesus Christ. We look at his life, it doesn't always make sense. How many books, how many book deals did our Lord Jesus get during his earthly ministry? Zero. How how far did he travel during his earthly ministry? No more than the state of New Jersey. In distance, he wasn't flying all over the world because he was the most famous preacher, most famous teacher. He was spending lots of time with just a few people. And those people, (laughs) those disciples, those followers of, of Jesus, weren't always those that seemed like they would be the greatest leaders. They're fishermen. And tax collectors, they're, they're uh, prostitutes, and people who maybe our world doesn't hold up in high esteem. Jesus tells us this, that we need faith like a child. Not a strong leader, a child. Like, how foolish is that? And yet that's what he calls his people to do. And here, 2,000 years later, why are we here? Well, because something about what Jesus did and said, it's stuck. <laughs> and 2,000 years later, this is the greatest movement in world history, the Christian church. 
And it's a mystery sometimes. And yet, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, as the poem that's at the end of our text today, and we know it's a poem because of the way it's like offset, right? That's an indication for you. But up in verse 16, he was manifested in the flesh. Who was manifest? Jesus, our Lord. He was made, uh, God made flesh, incarnate, vindicated by the Spirit. It makes me think of how uh, the Spirit empowered him to be raised from the dead on Easter morning. Seen by angels. That's all over Luke's gospel. <laughs> Proclaimed among the nations. That's what pastors, church workers are called to do. Believed on in the world. Taken up in glory at his ascension. It is Jesus and his, the mystery of the faith that has be, become revealed to us. It is him that we follow. And it is him, Lord willing, that, that I and other pastors preach as we preach the word of God. It's worth asking the question, though. Why was, again, Paul writing this letter to Timothy? He's writing to encourage Timothy as he pastored. But there's also the implied understanding that why is Paul writing specifically about raising up overseers and deacons in the church? Because that's what church leaders are called to do. That's part of our vocation as, as pastors. Timothy specifically being the pastor of that church in Ephesus. Paul, and, 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 you know, maybe we, we can all sit here and nod our heads in, a, in an agreement with this, but it, it's worth saying, like, if pastors aren't looking around, finding where... Lord, where, where are you working? Where, who are the church workers that you are raising up in this myth, in our midst at this moment? Um, then I'm, I'm failing at part of my, my duties. And as far as church workers go, in the, in the uh, early church, they had deacons. Today our Polity structure might look a little bit different. But we do have certainly elected lay leaders. People who we as a congregation take time to, to vote on, pray on, pray for, to lead the business affairs of a congregation so that the work of ministry, the mystery of ministry, can, can continue in this place and in this community. Paul starts us by saying, the saying is trustworthy and true. If you aspire to the role of overseer, it's, it's good. <laughs> it's noble. Is Jesus, is the Holy Spirit working on your heart to become a church worker. 
I think he is on, on some level. I think that he's working on, in some people's lives right now. And my prayer for you is that I know the, the reasons, the justifications that we can say, well, I'm not, I'm not the leader that I should be. I'm not charismatic. I'm not, I'm not like my favorite pastor from the past who was oh, so much more caring and compassionate than me. We're not the same. But God can still call us to raise us up for church work. I know for me personally, it wasn't until my junior year of high school when uh, my Paul, if you will, uh, Ken Welsh is his name, he did the youth ministry at, at the church I'm from back in Chesterland, Ohio. And he reached out to me or spoke to me and said, have you ever thought about church work, about going to a Concordia? Up until that point, I had thought zero about it. Not even on my radar screen. And yet when he spoke to me, planted that seed, it led to me being here. I'm also someone that can look back at my high school years and realize how much I hated this, that is, speaking in front of people, right? And here I am, and uh, it's hard to get me to stop now. (laughs) Do you know someone in your life who needs that seed to be planted? that you can encourage in the faith, the mystery of faith. Are you being called by God to serve in a specific role in the church? If so, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you move forward into life in the church, serving God, serving Jesus, knowing that he is the one that leads us through life both now and forevermore. Amen.